Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. We're back after what was a slight hiatus. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. And alongside me, of course, the two usual suspects. First, now writing for Sports Illustrated, we have Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you this evening? I, we were just talking about this before we hit record. I'm just glad our microphones still work. Oh, indeed, indeed. You, you got to brush the dust off of it sometimes. But also, coming all the way from the 757, the former tech sideline writer, no cookout cup in hand today. He blogs at rickytheblue.com. Ricky LeBlue, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good. I had chicken Alfredo for dinner tonight. Uh, it was absolutely Classy. delicious. So no need for a cookout cup. Did you say nasty? No, I said classy. Oh, oh boy, we were about to be throwing hands early on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) It was about to get heated real early. You can't insult the chicken Alfredo. It's just too much. It's just out of bounds. No. No, it's it's an American staple at this point. It is. And if you're Michael Scott, it's what you eat before a 5K. Correct. (laughs) So today, of course, a very big day. We're recording on the evening of Wednesday, December 18th, 2019, also known as Early Signing Day. The Hokies topped off what was always going to be a small class, and it has to be noted a class that is certainly the lowest-ranked recruiting class, according to 24-7 Composites, in the Justin Fuente era. It's not all negatives when it comes to this class, and a lot of rumblings, a lot of positives, have come in the form of a hashtag, that hashtag being TX2VT. This, of course, referring to Alec Bryant and Robert Wooten, two big defensive ends out of the state of Texas, both late flips to Virginia Tech. So with all that being said, when you look at the fan base, you see a lot of different interpretations of how this recruiting period has gone. So Mike McDaniel, I want to ask you first, here on early signing day, what grade would you give Justin Fuente and his staff for this 2020 class that they've brought in so far? It's a C. It could be worse than a C if you want it to be. I Here, here look. There's two different things at play here, right? There's the fact that they missed. This is going to be a small class anyway, so you got to capitalize on everybody you get, right? So it was going to be a small class anyway, and they had some misses early in the cycle. That was clear. But then they finished strong, right? Those are two different things. The majority of this signing class and, and this period here leading up to the early national signing day was not very good for Virginia Tech. For, up until today, the, the first day where kids can start signing here uh, at Virginia Tech, up until today, Virginia Tech was the last ranked class in the ACC. And yes, numbers have something to do with it, right? The fact that it was going to be a smaller class, but it doesn't tell the entire story. 
you know, if you still have quality in that small class, you're going to be ranked pretty high, right? That's how recruiting rankings work. And, and that's not to say that the players that they signed aren't good football players and won't turn out to be good football players. But when you miss on four-star recruits, when you miss on high-end three-star recruits, you are, are not going to end up with the same type of class that a lot of people expect you to have, even if you do have a smaller class or a larger class. We're not accustomed to seeing these misses by Virginia Tech. And, and this starts with last year not going as it should have, right? They go six and seven. It was the worst year since 92. It was a bad, bad season for Virginia Tech. And that's what kicked this whole thing off, right? They were fighting an uphill battle from the get-go. You, you look down at Miami right now, and, and Miami ends up with a top five class in the ACC. It's, it's looking like, right? But they've had their fair share of misses. And Manny Diaz even came out today in his press conference, and he said it's hard to sell people on a 6-6 six and six program and say that, yeah, we're on our way back. And Justin Fuente, whether he wants to admit it or not, he and the coaching staff had a hard time selling their, their recruits here in this recruiting class uh, on Virginia Tech because of how last year went. And, you know, things have been on a bit of an uptick. Virginia Tech goes eight and four this year. They had a pretty successful six or seven game stretch here uh, throughout this season. Obviously didn't end the way they wanted to, but they have a chance to win nine games. If they're able to win this belt bowl, it'll be the third time in four years that Virginia Tech's won at least nine games. So there are some positives you can sell to recruits and, this Texas to VT thing is very interesting because we've seen Virginia Tech struggle in the state of Virginia, but turning their attention to Texas to get a couple of late flips, that is a positive sign moving forward. That's not to say Virginia Tech you know, shouldn't recruit better in Virginia. I think it's a must moving forward. But the fact that they're recruiting or at least trying to recruit well and starting to recruit well and gain some traction in the state of Texas where there are a lot of higher end recruits, I think that's a positive moving forward for Virginia Tech and something they can certainly build off of with the additions of, of Wooten and Bryant today. So overall, it, it's an average average to below average signing class, right? And, and there's no escaping that. But there are some positives to take away from it as well here, especially with how the last couple of days have gone. You look at Virginia Tech's inability to recruit within the Commonwealth of Virginia, and obviously this has been a problem in the past to an extent with schools like Penn State winning recruiting battles and stealing top-end talent from here in the Commonwealth. But this year, Tech was unable to secure a single top-14 recruit within the Commonwealth. Ricky, is this a one-off, or, or is Tech starting to seriously lose their clout recruiting in Virginia? It's it's obviously not a one-off. If you go back in, in even into the late Beamer era, uh, Virginia Tech has struggled to recruit in-state for a while now, and they have really struggled to connect specifically with these top-end guys. Uh, anytime there's a, a high four or even a five-star recruit from the state, they're really struggling. The only one that they've gotten in recent years is Devin Hunter. And through, two, through really three seasons in the program, Devin Hunter's yet to make a significant contribution in the program. So um, take that for what it for what it's worth. But no, Virginia Tech has serious issues recruiting in state, and I'm actually working on an article about this that will be coming out here in the next day or two. Uh, Virginia Tech did not land a single player from the Commonwealth in the top 20 this year. Uh, I, I haven't finished my research yet, but I don't know the last time that that happened. I don't know if it's ever happened in the internet recruiting rankings era. Um, it, it's pretty damn incredible. And the we've talked about how this isn't a problem that's just started, but the problem seems to be getting worse. If you look at the top 10 recruits in the state of Virginia that they've gotten since 2017, which 
is really Justin Fuente's first recruiting class because we're not going to count 2016. Um, they started out with three of the top 10 in 2017. They had two in 2018. They had one in 2019 and zero this year, top 10 Virginia prospect. This is clearly an issue. Um, it's not just in the state of Virginia, and I'd love to expand more on that, but specifically within the state, Virginia Tech has significant problems recruiting against other programs, specifically Penn State, who this year has, what, four of the top 10 prospects in the Commonwealth, which is is pretty damn incredible. Mike, you look at this TX2VT phenomenon, I want to know how significant could this be going forward. On one hand, being able to secure recruits from the state of Texas is big, and it's something Justin Fuente has been unable to do. This is the first high school recruits out of the state of Texas in the Justin Fuente era. On the other hand, Texas recruit Alec Bryant is just the 24th ranked recruit in the Coastal. To put that in perspective, Miami had 10 players ranked higher. Georgia Tech had four. So when you look at it holistically, is this TX2VT thing overblown, or is it laying the groundwork for something that could really benefit VT going forward? Well, both. I mean, from the state, I think, so first of all, I, I think that this is this whole Texas to Virginia Tech movement is something that's gaining steam to cover up the fact that Virginia Tech hasn't recruited well in the state of Virginia. I think if Virginia Tech recruits the state of Texas well, in addition to recruiting the state of Virginia well, I think it's more significant, right? Um, the fact that they're going into Texas and making headway is a good thing, but if they're not making headway in the state of Virginia, in the Tidewater area where they've had a historic stronghold, that's also an issue, right? And you're supplementing it with getting kids out of the state of Texas, which is a good thing, but this could be a lot better if you get back to recruiting the way you need to in state, right? So um, do I think it's overblown? Yes, I do. Do I think it's overblown for a reason? Yes, I do. I think it's overblown because they're covering up the fact they haven't recruited well in state. Um, but I do think moving forward, it is significant for the program to make headway in the state of Texas. But I, I think it's only as significant as them being able to get back to doing what they're doing in the state of Virginia. And I think if they do that and add a state like Texas and continue to recruit well out of the state of Florida, uh, then we're talking about a higher ranked class in all likelihood. We're talking about pulling some of the better recruits out of Virginia and, and Texas and getting a handful of kids out of Florida. All of a sudden, we're talking not only about top 25 class, we're talking about a top 20 class, which, believe it or not, going back to the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, like that hasn't been done too often at Virginia Tech. They've been residing in the low to mid-20s in the recruiting rankings for quite some time. And this class does seem like an aberration, but you know, I guess we'll see moving forward. You know what else, Mike, that doesn't happen very often? It doesn't happen very often that Virginia Tech's average recruit ranking in terms of their nu yep. numerical value given to them not. by 247 Sports places them 12th in the ACC, Mike. That doesn't happen very often. Yep. And Virginia Tech's public relations staff deserves a ton of credit for beefing up this Texas to Virginia Tech movement because any anyone that is – casually following the program that's all they're talking about but no one that i've been able to see thus far is talking about how this program lacks a top end talent and b lacks significant depth and how this could be an issue moving forward and i've taken a lot of heat for this and being openly critical of this but look the recruiting rankings are getting more accurate every single year these guys spend three four sometimes five years with these prospects, they see them from middle school, they see them as freshmen, 
on JV teams, all the way through their senior year in high school. These guys who go out and, and scout these players for 247 and for rivals and things of that nature, they know these guys better than a lot of people. And these rankings actually do matter. And Virginia Tech is not getting the job done in these rankings. Programs like Alabama and Ohio State and LSU and Penn State and yada, 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 they're in the top 10 in the country for a reason. It's because they continue to win these recruiting battles. And it, it shows that these recruiting rankings actually are objective. And if you're taking an objective point of view from things, you can't help but be utterly frustrated and disappointed with Virginia Tech's recruiting class this year. I know that there are some extenuating circumstances given that Bud Foster was leaving and we didn't know who the defensive coordinator was going to be for the entire recruiting cycle. But that being said, as a head coach, you've got to find a way to get around that. Justin Fuente just didn't this year. Ricky, just to push back a little bit, since Fuente got here, Tech has been recruiting on par with where they've been recruiting historically, that around 25 range. Not this year. Yes, I I understand that. But do you think this is a sign of negative things to come? Do you think this is not a one-off? you think this is part of a pattern? Uh, I don't know if it's part of a pattern. Um, you, You can't create a pattern out of one year, but it's obviously a bad sign. It, it, to me, it's a very, very bad sign that Virginia Tech went from basically top four in the ACC in recruiting, battling it out with North Carolina um, and Miami and Florida State and Clemson and yada, 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 battling it out with them in the top four to five schools to being near the basement. I mean, th- th- let's call it what it is. This is a bad recruiting class by by objective standards. Yes, there is a chance and it's probably likely that there are going to be one, maybe two guys in this class that turn out to be very good players. This happens every year. But when you consistently fill the program with players that, A, don't have very good offer lists, and B, who these recruiting services, who you can call, you can say that they're skewed and biased all you want. Look, they're objective, man. These guys don't care about favoring one program or the other. These recruiting rankings are objectively based, and they're not looking highly upon this class. And this is the kind of class that can cause severe issues down the road in terms of lack of top-end talent and lack of depth. It's the same problem we saw at the end of the Beamer era, which set up Fuente for this really struggling time period between midway through last season and through the start of this season where he just did not have the top-end talent and he didn't have the depth to perform in the field. This is the kind of class that can create that problem in two to three seasons, and I think it's important that fans realize that and not overlook it. Mike, how did this kind of drop-off in recruiting occur? I mean, you look at last year, and according to 24-7 Sports, the Hokies had the third-highest-ranked class in the ACC, a class that featured guys like Tavion Robinson, Kashawn King, Brian Hudson, and Doug Nestor, who were able to step in and make significant contributions immediately as true freshmen. And then 2020 rolls along, and the Hokies have the second-lowest-ranked class in the conference. How did this happen? Well, on-field results matter. I think that was the start of it. Um, They didn't play well last year. They didn't look particularly good for a majority of the year. They had their first losing season since 92. I think that was the start of it. Bud Foster announcing his retirement certainly didn't help. You're going through the last half of this early signing period or or the, the timeline leading up to early signing period here in the last few months with 
like Ricky just mentioned, you don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be. Um, that's significant for all the defensive players you're trying to bring on board. And, you know, I, I think that it's kind of a perfect storm of things. Class size being small plays a small factor, like I mentioned, but I think the bigger factor is the fact that Bud Foster was retiring. And I think most importantly, at least in my opinion, is the fact they weren't very good last year, right? Like Tech did not play well last year. And I think that was kind of the start of this thing going in the wrong direction here with this particular class. Boys, one thing that's worth noting is something that Justin Fuente mentioned in his press conference today for signing day, and that's that he thought that the Hokies were pretty weak and needed to add some depth at the running back position. Well, newsflash, there's already quite a few running backs on the roster between Kashawn King, Caleb Stewart, Cole Beck, obviously Deshaun McLeese. Uh, and they, then they go ahead and they add a Juco guy in Marco Lee. They add Herbert, the transfer from Kansas, and a couple of guys uh, in this high school class. What does this mean for the players at running back currently on the roster? Well, I think it means that attrition is most certainly coming at this position, and it'll be coming faster uh, than it will later. Uh, look, there are seven running backs on the roster projected for next season, and they just added four this offseason, right? They added Khalil Herbert, the graduate transfer from Kansas, they added um, Lee, the Juco transfer, and then they add Hampton and Brunson in the freshman class. So you've basically got 11 scholarship running backs heading into the into next season w- without some attrition. Obviously, there's going to be some attrition, but there's probably going to be more attrition than normal. Um, you're going to at least see one to two running backs leave uh, leave the program at some point this offseason and I think it's possible you could see a third. There's just no way that you can fit even eight running backs on a roster for one program. Uh, Justin Fuente has really struggled to land elite top-end talent at running back during his tenure. And again, this is a program that lasted and predated his arrival in Blacksburg. But Justin Fuente, his approach to fixing this has really just been adding as many bodies as possible at the running back position. And so far, it's fair to say that that approach hasn't worked. He hasn't really found a breakthrough talent uh, using that approach at at this point. Um, And I don't know if he's going to. Now, maybe he likes the graduate transfer in Herbert. He thinks that he can step in and and maybe wrestle away the starting carries from, from Deshaun McLeese. But until further notice, we have to assume that the running back position is going to be kind of an average talent level at this point. Mike, what are your thoughts on this one? Who in your mind are the leaders in the clubhouse to get significant playing time at the running back position? And who in your mind is most likely to head out the door? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with Ricky. I think attrition is certainly coming. Um, I think guys who haven't played like Cole Beck comes to mind, right? (laughs) A guy who is a track star anyway and has a pretty bright future in that regard. He's an unbelievable athlete and happened to get a scholarship to play football, but really hasn't seen the field. Uh, you know, he's a guy who could leave potentially um, not leave Virginia tech. I think he'll still run track, but leave the football program. Um, but that's one of the guys that comes to mind. I mean, Jalen Holston hasn't stayed healthy his entire time in Blacksburg. I don't see him getting carries anytime soon. I think if you have Keyshawn King and McLeese healthy and you're bringing in Khalil Herbert, you're bringing in Herbert for a reason, right? Like he ran the ball well at Kansas. He destroyed Boston college earlier this year. Like, the kid can play a little bit and he should get carries. So, I mean, those are the three guys. I, I think it's Herbert McLeese and, and Keyshawn King. Um, I, I'm really curious to see who the guys are. They're going to be departing, but you know, there, there are a number of guys who like Caleb Stewart, like Cole Beck, who haven't really received a ton of carries or playing time at all, who I think could be pretty good candidates there. 
Well, boys, it goes without saying that recruiting and coaching are hand-in-hand. Virginia Tech's coaching staff has been nothing short of overhauled. Bud Foster, as we know, is retiring, and he will be replaced by an internal hire. Safeties coach Justin Hamilton will be taking over as the defensive coordinator. Bud will coach the Belk Bowl. Running back coach Zon Burden, gone. Brian Mitchell, the corners coach, gone. Charlie Wiles, the longtime defensive line coach, gone. So Virginia Tech staff going to look very new going into next season. Ricky, with the flood of news and changes in the coaching staff, which one sticks out most to you? Um, I'm, I'm very disappointed in the firings of Charlie Wiles and Brian Mitchell. Uh, I wrote about this at RickyTheBlue.com. I just I don't really understand the logic behind that. Charlie Wiles is really the closest thing to Bud Foster that you can get uh, for a guy like Justin Hamilton, who is as green as he is, he's going to need experienced assistant uh, coaches next to him. And you just let go of the guy who is most experienced in not only this roster, because he recruited a ton of it, but B the scheme that all these players have been recruited, uh, recruited to play in. Um, I, I just don't understand the logic there. Charlie has been really Virginia Tech's only recruiting presence in the state of Florida uh, during the Fuente era. He's recruited very, very well in North Carolina as well. I know that he hasn't landed really studs on the defensive line, but this year his defensive line played better than I expected them to play. And I just think that getting rid of him seems a bit odd. And also with Brian Mitchell, Look, for all but one of his seasons so far in Blacksburg, his cornerbacks have been damn good. I mean, Caleb Farley, the turnaround that he's made from last year to the, to right now is absolutely stunning. I didn't expect him to make that kind of transition at all. Jermaine Waller was a guy who got torched multiple times in 2018 and really figured things out this year. Armani Chapman is a guy that had no playing experience, and he comes in off the bench and plays well this year. I understand that they want to maybe aim for different fits in terms of personality, but in terms of coaching, Brian Mitchell and Charlie Wiles were actually pretty damn good coaches to me, and I don't really like the fact that you're replacing two veteran, experienced defensive assistants with guys that we don't really know how experienced are going to be because they haven't even made the hire yet. Mike, do you agree with Ricky's take on this one? Yeah, I do. I, I was surprised by Wiles myself. Um, now, there have been rumors about that for a little bit, but I was surprised that he was parting ways, right? They, they were parting ways is how they put it, but he was let go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it was disappointing. I mean, Wiles is one of the best defensive line coaches in the ACC, and they essentially just let him go. And, you know, Charlie Wiles has actually been a decent recruiter as well. So, I mean, I get what they're doing i think right like you promote adam lechtenberg right to running backs coach and zon burden i mean the writing was on the wall for him to be gone um whether it was going to odu as a head coach which didn't end up panning out or just being let go from the staff you knew he was not long for blacksburg just based off of what happened once jerry kill came in and the impact that he had on the running game and the the, you know the uh, game planning around running the football um, that's why I'm not as concerned about hiring Lechtenberg to, uh, to being the running backs coach. That doesn't really bother me as much as long as Jerry Kill is still in the fold. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Charlie Wiles thing was a little bit puzzling to me. They hired Daryl Tapp to replace him. Daryl Tapp, of course, a former all ACC player for Virginia Tech from the 757. Um, 
And what do you got, Ricky? Well, they didn't. Daryl Tapp isn't replacing Charlie Wiles. Tapp is a general defensive assistant. We don't know who the defensive line coach is going to be yet. Now, they may be grooming Daryl Tapp for that role in the future, but right now we don't have a defensive line coach, and there isn't a cornerback. So Tapp's role is, I don't want to call it ceremonial, but he's more of a general defensive assistant coach, I guess? Tapp, Tapp is basically going to be filling the Adam Lechtenberg role of the 10th assistant, where he's going to be the extra coach on the field and the extra coach on the recruiting trail. And I do want to get into Lechtenberg, but – we know, well, we don't really have a replacement for Charlie Wells at this point. We don't know who's going to fill that role. What would you expect the timeline to be for us to hear the announcement of that replacement? At this point, I have no idea. I would have expected to hear this, hear the hiring before the early signing period. I think it's bad and, frankly, somewhat negligent that they didn't have this lined up already. If you're going to let go of somebody like Charlie Wiles and somebody like Brian Mitchell – you better damn well have the, their replacements lined up and ready to go because they need to be on the recruiting trail. You've got a recruiting class that isn't very good, and you're trying to fill those spots and get these guys locked in before 70 to 75% of the nation is already signed, and you're missing a cornerbacks coach and a defensive line coach. I, I just I, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm interested to see who they hire, um, you know, with their couple openings on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm really curious to see who they are and where they're coming from. Because if they're coming from staffs playing in big-time bowl games, that would be a reason. Now, do I think that that's going to happen? Not necessarily. I don't. Not not with the way that they've been hiring so far and promoting from within. I I have a I have low expectations for who these hires are going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure what you mean when you say expectations are low, though. I mean, you look at the hire of Tracy Clays uh, as linebacker coach. Clays, the former head coach over at Minnesota. More recently, he was the defensive coordinator for a Washington State team that went 11-2 and last season. At your linebacker spot, you're getting a guy who has a lot of Power 5 experience in higher positions on that defensive side of the ball. Is that not a good hire at linebackers coach, especially with Bud Foster leaving? Because I see the Jerry Kill influence here, and it looks good. Well, I do think that Clays is a good hire at linebackers coach, and I wrote, I wrote as much. He's probably the most experienced linebackers coach in the country. Now, that being said, he's never specifically coached linebackers, but the guy was an interim head coach for half a season. Then he was a, a legitimate head coach for the next season before he resigned regarding some sort of player protest and rape allegations, which we don't have time to get into. Um, obviously not to dismiss the serious seriousness of the situation. Cause that's, we literally don't have time to get into it. And let's be honest, the three of us don't really know the details of it anyway, but Tracy clays. Now he did have kind of an unceremonial ending at Washington state where he was having an issue with one of his assistants, but look, He's going to get along with Jerry Kill. He's going to get along with Justin Fuente. Um, he's an experienced guy. I think he's a great linebackers coach. I think he's a great guy to place next to Justin Hamilton. Um, and you need to replace or need to place somebody next to Justin Hamilton who is experienced, who is a veteran assistant. Uh, because quite frankly, Justin Hamilton may be the least experienced defensive coordinator in the Power Five. And I'd actually like to get y'all's thoughts on that because. There's a, a segment of the fan base, and there's a somewhat legit argument to this, is that the hire was a bit lazy. Virginia Tech had the opportunity to go out and get a rock star defensive coordinator hire or somebody that had been 
a defensive coordinator before, and instead they hired a guy down the hallway. Now, the the situation is obviously more complex than that, but are you guys a bit concerned that this hire was a bit lazy? I mean, given the high expectation of the fan base with the and, and ended up being an internal hire, it's easy for me to understand how you might view it that way, view it as lazy. I mean, perhaps they were really impressed with the impact he had on this young team in a short period of time. I mean, because with just one year as a power five position coach, I guess he must have shown a lot. Yeah, I really hope he showed a lot. But at the end of the day, he was Bud's handpicked guy. He's a hokey. He's played the system. If we're being honest, I was hoping for Barry Odom. I wanted more of a finished product, one that you knew what you were getting when you bought it. The coaching community is very tight, and Hamilton seems to be a rising star, and perhaps they were worried that if you keep him on as the safeties coach, you run the risk of losing him to, say, a group of five program that would want him as a defensive coordinator, and you bring in Barry Odom, and then maybe Barry Odom leaves after a year or two. And it's not just necessarily Barry Odom. It's any rock star hire that might have been a head coach before. In short, I don't really know what the logic was there. But what I do know is that at this point in the Justin Fuente era, he better be pretty damn confident about this decision because it's Justin Hamilton's tenure as defensive coordinator that will ultimately determine whether the administration, the fan base, the recruits. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Will view Justin Fuente as the guy that can lead this Virginia Tech program going forward. So that's a big vote of confidence right there. 100%. 100%. And it would have been a lot smarter, at least in my opinion, of Fuente to put that kind of responsibility on somebody who was an experienced defensive coordinator in the business. L- let's be real, guys. Barry Odom didn't end up as a head coach anywhere. He's a defensive coordinator for a brand-new head coach at Arkansas, which is an absolute disaster right now in the SEC. I mean, in fairness, Arkansas is a disaster that could pay a lot more than we can. This is true. However, what are the odds that he's able to parlay that into a head coaching gig, whereas if he comes in at Virginia Tech, has a good season with a de- with a defense where every single starter except Reggie Floyd is coming back. Eh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I, my my what I really would like to know is if Justin Fuente actually offered the position to Barry Odom. Now, obviously, publicly, he's going to say no. Justin Hamilton was the guy that we pegged from the start. But I mean, if he didn't at least seriously think about hiring Barry Odom, to me, that's just. I, I, I mean, Ricky, Ricky, from, from conversations that I had with sources who I cannot reveal who they are, but I can tell you they're credible. We know for a fact Odom was seriously pursued. OK. All right. Well, I think Fuente also shoulders part of the blame for not being At the end able of the to day, get Ricky Cash is king. I mean, he, Cash is he king. Was literally, he was Barry Odom's head coach. The difference between Justin Hamilton's salary to be the defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech and Barry Odom's at Arkansas is like five hundred thousand. Okay, but they were they were paying Bud Foster yeah. just under a million. They were paying Bud Foster just under a million. That's for the Hall of Famer that is Bud Foster. I understand that, but you couldn't at least keep that same level of cash for for Barry Odom. What are the odds that he's making over a million at Arkansas? I mean, if he's making $900,000 a year to be the defensive coordinator, that's almost double what we're paying Justin Hamilton. I understand that, but you pay for what you get, right? Barry Odom is a guy who has a lot more credentials. Maybe he doesn't have quite the ceiling since there's obviously a a prevailing notion that Justin Hamilton is an up-and-comer in the business. But if you go out and get a guy like Barry Odom, he's a guy that knows what he's doing, right, Mike? Guys, I Barry Odom is making 1.2 million to be the Arkansas defensive coordinator. 
All right, well, there you go. Then, yep, cash cash is king. Well, what are you going to do? We, did we have the cash to pay Bud Foster? What he paid no, him? No, no, but he's no, Bud effing right. Foster, so we made it work. Barry Odom and Chris Ash aren't Bud Foster. <laughs> yes, I understand that. But I'm still slightly disappointed that Justin Fuente did not go out and find an experienced defensive coordinator to fill that position. Your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I mean, they seriously pursued Barry Odom, I think, for a number of reasons. Number one, Odom was pursuing a head coaching job, didn't work out, ends up making all this money at Arkansas. That does play into it. Um, I agree with the sentiment that if you're going to roll with Justin Hamilton to be the defensive coordinator, you have to be absolutely sure that it's going to work. Um, I am 1,000% in that camp, and it sounded like you guys were as well. You have to be absolutely sure that when you make that hire of a guy who's never been a defensive coordinator before to replace a 25-plus-year defensive coordinator in Bud Foster who has carved out you know, quite the status for himself in Blacksburg and nationally for the job that he's done, um, you have to be absolutely sure it's going to work. And, you know, Justin Fuente's job status, you know, based off of what happened last year and, and the first part of this year was up in the air for a bit. Right. And, you know, Virginia Tech had a strong middle part of the season and they had a strong seven or eight game stretch there. And, you know, they were able to kind of silence the noise a little bit. But this isn't a great recruiting class. They didn't win last year like they wanted to. And what if they lose the losing bowl game? to UVA did not help with a segment? No, of the it didn't. Game. And what if they lose this bowl game? Then you're sitting at eight and five with an easy schedule, and you're like, "Well, now you got all this staff turnover. You just have to be absolutely sure that Hamilton's the guy." So they seem to think that he is. You are going into a 2020 season where everyone in this Virginia Tech fan base, from the people that are the most supportive of the team, to the five-point-day quad, which, by the way, has been reduced to pre-preseason size for this team. But all of those people have high expectations going into the year. These people know that Tech should be the favorite in the Coastal. They know they're bringing back 42 of 44 on the two-deep. They know that they're bringing back every significant contributor on this team, barring maybe random attrition from, I don't know, Damon Hazleton or, or McLeese, but even them, they're so deep at the running back position. This is a team that should be good. I mean, even Caleb Farley is coming back. This team is a team that Justin Fuente can no longer say is rebuilding. This is the time, and the results will reflect directly on him. So with all that experience coming back, in this season that seems to be at least the beginning of the culmination of everything that you and your staff has built towards, you are putting that defense, a defense that showed itself to be elite down the stretch under the tutelage of, of course, our legendary defensive coordinator, Bud Foster. You're putting that defense in the hands of Justin Hamilton, a guy with one year of Power 5 coaching experience. But Justin Fuente is not a stupid guy. He knows the stakes, and he knows that whatever happens here will directly reflect on him. So, good luck. I support it. I just don't want to be wrong. And I don't think Justin Fuente wants to be wrong either because he can't afford to be wrong. So if this is your guy, okay, but you better be confident in him. It is. It's the it ultimate is. And it could pay off. It's, and be it's, it's, it's a 100% a gamble. It could be a home run. It could just end up being an okay hire. Yeah, it, it could. could go really, it really poorly. Could um, I'd be surprised if it went really poorly. I think, if, uh, I think worst case scenario here is likely that it just goes okay. Uh, but everybody seems to have high hopes for him, including Bud Foster himself. So... You know, hopefully it pans out. 
Quickly before we wrap this up, what role do you expect Bud Foster to play going forward? Because he's kind of seeming to pitch himself as a guy who's going to stay in the program, not just in a ceremonial Frank Beamer role, but as an actual analyst, a guy that can help with recruiting, a guy that can help with scouting, a guy that can help with game planning. These things that are a lot of his previous responsibilities as defensive coordinator, but just not in as serious of a role, as strenuous of a role. Do you view these as the words of a guy who might not accept that he's truly going to have to retire, or can he seriously help Virginia Tech in years to come? So I've heard I've heard rumors about that, that he might kind of hang around a little bit to mentor Justin Hamilton. I think that becomes less likely now that Tracy Clays is on the staff. Uh, but if Bud Foster wants to stick around and, and hang around the staff, Justin Fuente is not getting rid of him. Like if he wanted to stick around and be some sort of uh, defensive analyst or a shoulder to lean on if they're trying to game plan or they have a question to ask, I, I, I think that, you know, Bud Foster would be amenable to that. But with that being said, I, I do think – that Bud Foster deserves whatever kind of retirement he wants to have. If he wants to fully step away from football, he entirely deserves that. If he wants to just take a step back from football, he entirely deserves that. But it'll be really interesting to see kind of how that kind of manifests itself moving forward because I have heard rumors about that, and I I don't necessarily buy it. But, you know, I think if you have him, if you have Tracy Clays, if you have guys offering their input to Justin Hamilton, it could only help. I I've heard from multiple people that Bud is going to stick around in some sort of unofficial capacity and he's going to be assisting in scouting and game planning specifically. Um, and w w which is good for, for Justin Hamilton, obviously to have his mentor and really the greatest defensive coordinator we've ever seen in college football uh, be his, his lot, his library basically uh, I th that is a tremendous, uh, a tremendous move for for Virginia Tech. That being said, um, Bud isn't going to be on the field making these calls. Bud isn't going to be making the in-game adjustments. Bud isn't going to be on the recruiting trail. Virginia Tech isn't going to be able to sell Bud Foster anymore. This is still Justin Hamilton's gig. He's going to have to be the one that wins on the trail. He's going to have to be the one that really, really knows game planning and He's going to have to try and match Bud Foster's in-game adjustments, which is something that he's been heralded for for years. Now, none of us are expecting Justin Hamilton to be Bud Foster, but he's at least got to get in, you know, kind of the same ballpark, but not really. I mean, he's got to go out there and do a good job. And if he doesn't, a lot All of right. I mean, this seems like uh, a lot of good stuff to talk about and a lot of stuff that we can get to down the road as this big offseason progresses here. This is this is the most important offseason in the history of the program that I can think I feel of like we right say now. this after like every game, though. I mean, come on, like this is the biggest game in the Justin Fuente era at Virginia Tech. And then next week, it's also the biggest game in history. I don't I mean, no, like in terms of in terms of the off seasons. In, in recent memory, I mean, for me, I'm 25. I, I can't think of a more important offseason than this one. I, I do think the offseason after the, the 1999 year was probably pretty damn important because Virginia Tech didn't parlay that into good recruiting. But didn't we directly leverage that into Kevin Jones, who was the number one recruit in the country? That's one guy. You've got to get more than just one guy. I understand your point, but you got to get more than one guy. But no, Virginia Tech has got to get this roster and this coaching staff ready because this is Virginia Tech's chance 2020 to have a 
loaded roster of Justin Fuentes guys. All these guys are experienced. They've all got game experience. They're all veterans at this point. He's got a quarterback that he likes. He's got a defensive coordinator that he likes. He's still got his OC. Uh, all signs are pointing to this being the year that Justin Fuente has all of the all of the tools, all of the herbs and spices for a successful season. So this offseason is really important to make sure that that happens. All the herbs and spices. <laughs> that is a new one. <laughs> well, boys, that's going to wrap it up for us. I have left my friend waiting. We have one movie left in the full Star Wars saga, and it's 11 o'clock. So I really want to get on that as soon as possible. Shout out David Cunningham for his great Star Wars tweets. That will do it for us for the Hookie Hangover podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. Promise we won't skip any more weeks on you guys ever again. We apologize. Yep. We'll come out with a preview for the Belt Bowl. That'll probably come out, uh, what do you think, boys? One or two days before Christmas, maybe after Christmas? Uh... Somewhere in that range, yeah. I mean, it, and there's probably going to be stuff that happens between now and then, but... Yeah, you, everyone will definitely get a Belk Bowl preview a few days in advance. We will preview the Belk Bowl. We will review the Belk Bowl, and we have a lot of big stuff coming up next year. So big yep. that I haven't even told Mike and Ricky my ideas yet. I probably should soon. <laughs> we should have a talk about this. <laughs> Boys, we're going on tour. <laughs> until then as always we thank you for joining us we appreciate all of you happy holidays and go Hokies <laughs>